Welcome to the Collective Evolution Show. The CE Show is a podcast that will feature anything from discussions to reports on a variety of topics, all framed within the context of transformation that is occurring within us individually and collectively as a society. You could probably relate to the fact that our current world seems to be falling apart and that things are becoming quite chaotic, and making sense of what's going on has become really tough. Old ways of viewing the world don't seem to be working anymore, so people are looking for new conversations. Many are noticing that much of traditional or mainstream media or even academia seem to be failing at understanding and exploring the cultural transitions and changes that are happening in people and society. The reality is that we've arrived at a time where we have to start talking about these emerging ideas that come from an entirely different narrative about what it means to be a human and what we're capable of. On this podcast, we'll talk about anything from current events to personal transformation, consciousness, future technology, and more. We'll explore real things that are happening in our world that are inspiring, but that may not be explored too much in pop culture or media. Of course, these topics can all be explored on our website as well at collective-evolution.com, where you'll find articles, essays, and videos. You can also join our membership platform called CTV, where we have a ton of exclusive video content, including original shows, discussions, and courses to help you make sense of the world and transform how you show up in life. You can visit CTV.one to check out our member area. Welcome to another episode of the Collective Evolution Show. We're going to be speaking with Richard Lawrence, who we've had on the show before. It was a fantastic interview about UFOs and consciousness and spirituality. And we wanted to get an update. What are your thoughts on what's going on in the world right now? What has happened um, overall with uh, mainstream UFO dis- uh, disclosure and, and how that's affected the way you see this whole thing unfolding? You know, these are some of the key questions, key ideas we wanted to explore with Richard. Uh, he's the current secretary of executive secretary, actually, of the Ethereum Society. Um, and he's a spiritual teacher. So there was a lot of fun stuff to talk about here, again, with a with a deep sort of conscious undertone as to where we're going, how we're evolving, and how we're in kind of a special time right now for um, seeing, I guess, evolution of consciousness really transform and, and speed up in a way that um, kind of seems to be affecting or, or, or bringing about some form of change very, very quickly on the planet right now. Lots of institutions collapsing, a lot of deep questioning happening within people. So we're going to explore all that and more in this interview. Enjoy it. So it's great to have you back on, Richard, um, you know, to do another episode here of uh, Collective Evolution Show talking about uh, everything you have going on at the Ethereum Society. Since, you know, what you guys are doing there is so unique, why don't you lay out a little bit what exactly the Ethereum Society is and how it came to be? Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Arjun. It's nice to be back with you both. Thank you. Um, I believe I'm right in saying the Ethereum Society is the world's oldest international UFO contact organization. Um, We uh, operate in various parts of the world, not every part of the world, obviously, but in many parts. We're not massive, uh, you know. We don't have hundreds of thousands of, of followers, but we—I I would say—we definitely have tens of thousands of people who follow us closely or are active members themselves. We started uh, this is before my time, but we started in 1955, and we have the most incredible founder. Um, yeah, I, I'm biased, so you—you you know. But <laughs> uh, on the other hand, I knew him very well. And I was lucky to become a close friend of his as well as he was my teacher. And he was a great master of yoga 
uh, as well as a, a, a medium for beings from other worlds, which I think is very unusual, if not unique, um, that combination of being a master of yoga and a UFO contactee in one person. Uh, he was a fearless person. I think it's worth talking a bit about him because the whole of the Ethereum Society goes back to him, really. Mm. And um, in fact, we had his 100th anniversary in 2019 of his birth. Um, and he, because he passed on in 1997. And we launched his biography in that year. And I was honored to co-author that with Brian Kniep, who, who runs the American headquarters, secretary of the American headquarters. Um, so he was very, very unusual in so many ways. But I would say to sum it up, he was connecting a spiritual message with a UFO message. Now they say UAP, don't they? But it's mm -hmm. the same thing. And then it was flying saucers, actually. Yeah. But he combined those two into one. And that wasn't really being done then by many people. And I mean, even I can remember, uh, you know, back in, say, the 1980s, uh, hardened UFO, what they used to call nuts and bolts. People did not like the spiritual message being connected to UFOs. They wanted to keep the two separate. I think that's changed now. Um, last time I was in America lecturing, say, at MUFON in various parts of America, um, I met people who were nuts and bolts, self-professed nuts and bolts people, but they did recognize that the spiritual message is a key part of the UFO movement. Mm -hmm. So that's progress in itself, that yeah. they are linked. But right from the beginning, uh, Dr. King's sort of claim, as it were, was that he was, and the term used for him was primary terrestrial mental channel. Uh, he certainly wasn't the only person and never claimed to be who had contacts. But I think you could certainly say that the 43 years during which he was getting regular communications with intelligences from other worlds, I don't think there's another claim like it anywhere. Um, at least I haven't found one. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and in that, you find, uh, uh, well, a complete reevaluation of, if you like, spiritual priorities. Let's put it that way. Mm. This, this interests me a lot. I, you know, I, I, I'm personally, I mean, I found the Ethereum Society from a sort of, Eastern philosophy-based background, just searching for the truth, um, having been raised in, in Orthodox Christianity. But I, I was looking elsewhere, and then I came across Dr. King. So through that channel, really. And um, I virtually, uh, excuse me, I'm just going to just, we'll just close that door because we yeah, have a very noisy okay. cat. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so I found that I, I found it that way. And what I think I would summarize it, because I could say so much about the Ethereum Society, really, just to give you a preamble, is that it puts service at the heart of, of spirituality. Now, if you, you know, if you look at the Eastern tradition going back, say, a thousand years and more, many thousands of years, uh, I think you could say safely it put meditation at the heart or one one or other form of meditation or the inner journey and perhaps the the journey of the sadhu isolating yourself off and going off to find peace and joy almost detaching from universal suffering now it was known by them that that would help indirectly help the world but now the message that we we are given is that's not enough you know, you, you've got to get actively involved. So what the Ethereum Society has done in, in Dr. King's lifetime and since is perform a whole range of missions which are designed to bring, um, raise the consciousness of 
humanity. That's how I'd summarize it. That being the root. We don't think politics is the answer. I think that's well proven. We don't think finance alone will do it because you've always got greed. So it won't work on its own. Unfortunately, what will work is to change the consciousness. And the best way to do that is a whole variety of ways of sending out spiritual energy to the world. So right now, we're holding online services in one part or another of the Ethereum Society every day either visually or online audio, and people can join in. They don't have to be members of ours at all. They can hold other beliefs. They may not even regard themselves as religious, because I think you can be spiritual without necessarily thinking of yourself as religious. And you can join in, and that's really, in one sentence, how Dr. King summarized the crisis on this earth. He thought it was a spiritual energy crisis. That's a summary of it. I mean, there's lots more, obviously, I could say, but perhaps that's a lead. It started, so I say, in 1955. Dr. King's first contact was the year before that, mm-hmm. and um, it continued. We, we have a complete um, archival record and a published record of audio transmissions that he received and written um, versions with commentaries. The most notable of which are the 12 blessings and the nine freedoms. I think I've probably that's enough for me as a preamble. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, it's um, well said. Yeah, well said. Uh, thank you for that. We'll definitely direct people to those um, who are listening to this podcast for sure. Um, it's interesting. This is Dr. George King. And it's interesting because I recently wrote an article about Nikola Tesla. And mm. I, these were for declassified FBI documents. And in that document, this was only a few days ago, um, it mentioned Dr. George King. And yes. it, it said that he was kind of the, the foremost like channeler um, of our time, basically. And mm. um, it's in, I found it interesting that the FBI was like just kind of keeping tr- he, the intelligence agencies have a long history of keeping track of the UFO phenomenon. They were definitely interested oh, yeah. in people like Dr. George King and um, Nikola Tesla and, and these kind of people. So I kind of found it kind of synchronistic that I came across that document a few days ago, knowing that we're about to interview you. Um, Definitely. Yes. Uh, um, no, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, before we, we yeah. jump, like did, so Tesla claimed to have contact with what he called the space people. I guess this um, was, this yeah, was apparently from this document, um, according to the people who wrote this document, um, it's not like the FBI said it. The FBI just kept record of this interplanetary newsletter of, a gentleman in the United States and it claimed that Tesla had contact with people from v- uh, space people from Venus. And yes, I've I know heard that. Dr. George King's contact um, was uh, one of his contacts was also from Venus, wasn't he? Yes. I mean, what, one of the things I suppose that m- first of all, I can't sort of confirm or otherwise right. that I've heard that too. And it's not something Dr. King ever verified to me. It's certainly believable. I mean, you only right. have to look at what Tesla did and the fact that he, <laughs> he didn't do it for financial gain, clearly, because right. he, you know, he missed out on that uh, from what I can gather. And yeah. he, and he revolutionized, transformed the world. And a result of him, probably many lives were saved. So he had all the hallmarks of what may have been an interplanetary intelligence. I, I, I can't say, but certainly the Venusian connection is key. I mean, we are named after one Master Ethereus, and that's a pseudonym, actually. But that intelligence, we believe, 
comes from Venus. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe Jesus, this is controversial, but we believe Jesus came from Venus because the star of Bethlehem wasn't a star. I think everybody knows that, <laughs> or they should do if they believe in it yeah. at all. Um, so, yeah, it's, you see, the whole thing that Dr. King said back in the 50s and when it wasn't being said is that there is invisible matter. Now science fully recognizes that as 96% of the universe is invisible matter. They fully admit it. It's on the NASA website and they look at it as possibly being ethereal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, but then it wasn't said. And he so when he talked about life on Venus or Mars or any other planet in this solar system, it was on a higher frequency right. from our existence, just like people die and they can live if they're more advanced on a higher frequency after so-called death physical death yeah um so on other planets so i i would be very open to that theory uh, but when you get on to channeling um you're right up my alley there with that because that's a subject i am absolutely fascinated by and where i think dr king from my studies and my practice because i've practiced it myself on a much more basic level than him not with people from other planets by the way people from this planet um, I think he's in a league of his own, uh, even just based on the way he described the mediumship he used. I have talked to hundreds of mediums. I, I used to do a radio show in London where we had mediums coming in and out the studio. And I have never, and some of them were good at what they did, accurate, but I've never met any medium who has ever claimed or described the type of condition that Dr. King used to bring through interplanetary masters. Yeah. Are you able to, to sort of break down um, for listeners kind of what you might see as a differentiation between the, the maybe the kind of the standard um, medium or channeler versus what um, Dr. King was doing? Sure. I'll, I'll try to do that. Um, I mean, you know, I can start with also with my own experiences that, you know, I think, First of all, if, if they're using trance at all, and I'm not necessarily recommended they use a kind of deep trance because I think it can be very dangerous for most people to do that personally. Um, they, you know, they may not really know, that medium may not know, how much of it is themselves, how much of it is somebody from an, an, you know, another realm. I don't think they're going to be getting, on the, for the most part, people from other worlds. That would, and there's a reason for that, which, which I'll come to. But on the other hand, if you're doing what I do, which is not trance, really, it's a kind of very light trance, but you have complete control over it. And by the way, I, I don't recommend people to try and take up channeling, particularly at all. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, it can be quite, if you get it wrong, and I, I'm sorry to say, I think a lot of people do get it wrong, even very well-intended people yeah. and good-hearted people, uh, there can be, um, frankly, mental health issues can arise if you're not careful. So it's not a road I would sort of advocate. I think much better to do healing, to do you know, prayer, to do mantra, to do meditation uh, for most people. But some of us do a bit of it, and I've done it for about 30 years. So what I would do, which I think would be something, I'm not comparing myself at all, but something akin to someone like Alice Bailey the, in terms of the method, which is you start to receive words telepathically. And in my case, because I you know, practice psychic hearing, clairaudience, sometimes you will hear not a voice, but an intonation, a psychic sound around that voice. And you can tell the difference between your own thoughts 
and something that's coming to you from outside of yourself. And those are words. I'll just give you one little example. I got um, uh, a poem once in about, I would say, between three and five minutes. And I, it was given to me. I didn't write it. I was writing it down. Now, I don't think channeling is easy at all. So that's another thing I'd say. I think anyone who says it's easy, I just relaxed into it and boom. Um, I wouldn't rely on them at all for accuracy. Yeah. Again, they might be very good people. It might be a bit of them and a bit of someone else and they don't know. And if they say they don't know, there's nothing wrong in that. But if you really want to get it accurate, I think you have to work very, very, very hard. You have to really concentrate and you have to control your own mind and make sure you don't even think about the message. And ideally, you wouldn't even be particularly aware of the message. You'd just be aware of the words. And so I would, this poem, I wrote it, I'd write it down in three to five minutes. Uh, and, and sometimes it wouldn't even be words, it'd be letters spelt out to, into words. Uh, it wasn't automatic writing. I was fully in control. And then after I'd done that, I actually read it. And I found out that it was a 17th century poem uh, in what they, I later found out was called Iambic Tetrameters, which rhymed and had some 17th century language in it, which is the Shakespeare sort of period. It wasn't Shakespeare, but that period. It was actually, I was given the name, and it's a name I'd never heard of, but he did exist. He was a poet. He was a little-known poet, I'd say, of the, of the period. Now, the point I'm making there, the only it was interesting to me because I, I doubt myself, and that's not a bad thing for people in psychic work to do, actually, I think. You, you always question yourself and keep your feet on the ground and never be afraid to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Much better to do that than, you know, claim something. Uh, but the fact that it was in, you know, in iambic tetrameters and it rhymed and it was in, had the language of the 17th century and the name was given to me, I couldn't have invented that. If somebody could, could disbelieve me that he made the whole story up, they can say that, but I know I didn't. So it proved to me, okay, that's, that is channeling, but that's channeling words and that's using telepathy. And I think that's probably the safest method for most of us. Mm -hmm. And that's somebody who was from this earth, uh, was a very good poet, a great poem. It's been published. Uh, I can say that because I didn't write it. You know, it's a very good poem, uh, but it, that's what it is. It's no more than that. Now, Dr. King didn't do that. What he did was to, he was a master of Kundalini yoga. So before that period I mentioned at the beginning in 1954, when he was first contacted by the Master Etherius, before that, he'd been practicing advanced forms of yoga every day, on average, for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And that's in London. I mean, he, you know, I always say he, he gained samadhi in Waterloo, not the Himalayas. Waterloo being a busy mm -hmm. part of London with a big railway station. It's not the traditional place for, for, for the deepest states of meditation. Mm -hmm. So he had done this practice on top of a job because he, he didn't have private money. He had to work and he did work uh, at driving or whatever was necessary. But he was doing these practices. So by the time he was contacted and probably because of this, he could be then used. And the method he used was, and I don't want to sort of get too technical here about it, but, but for those who are familiar with this, was to, to raise the kundalini. And this is the mystic force within us. 
And there's lots of nonsense spoken about Kundalini, but there's also some truth if you look for it. And he was a master of Kundalini yoga by that stage. So he could at will raise this, this force, lodge this in a particular psychic center or chakra, if you like, and then the cosmic intelligences could place a beam on that chakra. I know this sounds very technical, and this is the point. And it was a beam of thought. It mm. wasn't words per se. I think probably it was conditioned with certain phrases, but it was a beam of thought. Because he was English, it was translated then by his brain into English. If he'd been German, it might have been German. Yeah. And that was the method he used. So that's the method that I mentioned earlier, which I have never heard anybody describe or claim to do. And I think the people who could raise the Kundalini in its entirety and lodge it in a high psychic center, which has happened through history, like Swami Vivekananda, one can name one or two who've done this. Um, Sivananda would be another. But they didn't use it in, med in mediumship, as far as I know. So that's what makes it unique. He used something which was really de devised or intended originally uh, for great enlightenment, great wisdom, the great bliss of you know higher states of consciousness. But instead of that, he directed it towards mediumship. So two things happened. One, he raised his consciousness in the process, therefore being able to gain rapport, because that's all mediumship is, rapport with another intelligence. And, you, and while you're in that rapport, you have to be on approximately the same level mm. of awareness. That you can rule out a lot of claims immediately on that basis alone. Yeah. You know, there's weekend courses in how to contact the sense master <laughs> if you're choosing. Or you can yeah. absolutely, I'm afraid, and I say this to help, I don't say this to criticize, Yeah. you know, because there's so much misinformation and some of it very well intended. It's not all you know, yeah. con men and women and people trying to make money, they believe this. Yeah. I, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that it's interesting you mentioned that because I've come across channelers out there who are gaining popularity and they're clearly what I think well-intentioned, good people. But at some point, I believe that they're kind of just hearing their own voice and starting to believe yeah. that they're channeling from somewhere else and they're giving these messages. And it's it's hard to determine who's actually authentic and who's not um yeah. but you just have kind of an, an intuitive feeling when listening to the some of these channelers and i mean when it comes to the ethereum society and stuff i don't know i've always i personally have always like really resonated and it seems very authentic Good. to me and Good. um i wanted to ask what what is the message coming through basically right now for humanity like what what is the message and what does humanity need to do Right. Well, and, and by the way, thanks for those, those comments. And I, I, all I would say to that is we're very, very lucky to have, you know, the head of the Ethereum Society, Dr. George King. And I say, although he passed on physically in 1997, mm -hmm. he's at the head of the society now, and he always will be, mm -hmm. because, you know, he is one of those rare examples. Um, there are others in history uh, of someone who really lived it and was the real thing, you know, right. and, and for just to name one thing about him alone, he was celibate throughout his life. Mm. I mean, he was married, but to, to a disciple. 
And he, so he, he really lived the yogic path 100%. But to answer your question, it was, in, it was interesting timing that the society started in the 1950s and by design, I believe, because it was an extremely dangerous time. And it was a time when atomic experimentation was, you know, at a fore and it had returned to our world. I say returned because um, I believe we've had this before. That's one of the messages we've had, that there have been previous civilizations. Actually, I saw an interesting survey. I think it was in uh, Chapman University in California, and which I believe is, a, I've been, I'm told, is a very good university. And they did a number of interesting surveys. But one thing they found is that most Americans believe in Atlantis. I think well over 60%. It's not, it's not a fringe belief, as some would have us think, nor is UFOs, by the way, or alien life, or alien communication. These are mainstream by the by survey factors, beliefs. It's just that the media is way out of sync with it. Mm -hmm. It's lost the plot on it, really, because it's it, they're not where people are. But, but that, that's another another point. So there were previous civilizations. Um, there was Atlantis, and before that, before that, another one called Lemuria, which is well known in theosophy mm -hmm. and in UFO contacts, actually, other UFO contacts. So Dan Fry mm -hmm. was contacted, I believe, by a Lemurian, so he said. But before that, we came, we believe, from another planet in, entirely which uh, was destroyed in an, an atomic catastrophe and is now the asteroid belt. So that's, mm. if you like, our terrible history, our disgraceful <laughs> history, if you like. Um, and what had happened sort of in the 50s and just before then is the re-advent of this ability to blow up a planet in theory, to blow ourselves up again uh, with, with nuclear experimentation. And so some, not only Dr. King, actually, but one or two of the contacts of that period were focused a lot on that and warning about it. And Dr. King was no exception at all. So that was one of the big messages. But the other big thing was that the answer, both for um, you know searching people, people searching for truth, but also for saving our planet is a spiritual one. Another massive factor I'd have to pick out, which I haven't mentioned, is the, is the importance of the planet herself as a living being. So this is the missing link in a lot of eco ecology. Uh, the motivation isn't quite right, in my, in my view, because they will talk about ecology and the importance of it, but they'll say in the next breath, for the sake of our children and our grandchildren. Right. That's true. But more important than our children and our grandchildren and ourselves is the planet herself as a living being, Gaia, as the ancient Greeks called her. So that's absolutely, I mean, that was at the core, even more than humanity, I would say Dr. King was devoted to the Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our missions are designed to send energy to her as far as we possibly can anyway. Um, and that's an essential karmic balance because... Well, really, put it bluntly, we're cosmic criminals, I'm afraid. You know, having destroyed a planet, it won't happen again. And so there'll be a big sorting. And again, there's lots of talk about the great change. And you, you can see it, as I'm sure you know, in many cultures, from the Mayans to the Bible to the Hindu scripts to the Greek legends, this is the time that was spoken about, the great change, the great sorting. But the missing link again was the reason for it. 
it almost comes over as though like God has run out of patience and now he's going to get rid of bad people and perhaps <laughs> a good few will stay. And you know, that's what comes in many different traditions. But, but why? Why now? What's the change? Well, the big change, we believe, has to do with the planet, the Mother Earth, going through her initiation. And, you know, she has waited for eons and she cannot be expected to wait any longer. So we're either going to change and we're given the, the certainly the tools to change, and, and there are many that are revealed through the Ethereum Society. And it's not we're not the one and only way, by the way. May I say that? We're not just saying it's you know, either in us, our organization, or you're you're not doing any good, or you're not on the right on the truth. Not at all. We're very inclusive. Clearly, I believe the Ethereum Society is the most uh, powerful organization from a spiritual point of view and and the greatest teachings or i'd be somewhere else but we're not the only one there are many people doing things and it's vital at this time that we do so because this is the time of the great change mm -hmm. you mentioned uh shifting sort of in a sense um some of the focus from you know just pushing on humanity to sort of actually focusing you know on the earth as well when we're talking about ecology and stuff like that which kind of represents in, in a lot of ways for a lot of people um, like a shift in consciousness, right? Like moving from the standpoint of where we see humans almost as the center of the universe as these material beings having an experience here and just, you know, coming and doing our thing and, and everything is about us and our, and our, you know, grandchildren to opening up to this idea that there's more of a connected relationship also to the earth itself and what it means and also what that 96% non-material reality really represents in our world. Um, and with that sort of, you know, contextually as an idea that we're, we're discussing here, earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned um, something called spiritual priorities. Um, I think when you were describing uh, the Ethereum Society and stuff like that, what, what did you mean by that exactly? Well, what I really meant was that service now is the order of the day. Um, actually, I think it's always been the greatest thing anyone could ever do. But if you go back, say, a thousand years, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a great lover of Eastern philosophy, and I still am. Uh, you know, it's not like I found this, so I'm not interested anymore. It's all, there's lots of great teachings, but there's no teaching for me that is, is greater than the Nine Freedoms, a book and a series of transmissions. In fact, I've just started a new a radio show on it called Spiritual Freedom Show, all based around the nine freedoms. And people can find out about that on my website or the Ethereum Society website. But that was like, to me, that was delivered in 1961. So 60 years ago this year, uh, a series of nine transmissions, and it changed the spiritual priorities in this way. That one, say a thousand years ago, so, you know, if people are familiar with some of these old yogis, one of my heroes is the, is the Tibetan known as Milarepa, Jetson Milarepa. And, and his life story is there. And he was a, an incredible individual uh, who went off into a cave, found enlightenment and went through terrible rigors and was brave and all the rest of it. But and, and he did it, I believe, to help the world. And he said so. But he didn't engage himself in serving as it were the villagers or the people in his community or, or or getting stuck in really and he didn't even intend to do that now from all we can tell it was completely successful and he gained great powers and great enlightenment and left some great teachings in, in the tibetan you know doctrines and so on 
but my point here is that that wouldn't be possible now. You even if you tried to do that now, even if you had, which is unlikely, but if if you did have the same guts and the same determination as Jetson Millerepa and the same innate abilities as him, even if you did, and it could be a male or a female, by the way, that the term master isn't generic to men or shouldn't be. It's it's both. It wouldn't work because the karma has changed. And, and there's there's two reasons for that, I would say, two main reasons. One reason is the times are desperate, partly, as I mentioned, because of the advent of atomic experimentation, and partly because we're coming to the great change. The initiation of Earth has taken place. It hasn't fully manifested by any means. So time is running out. That's one reason. And the other reason is there are much more powerful ways to serve now than there were a thousand years ago. Now, uh, just to, I'll give you one example, and this is something the Ethereum Society has been putting out since 1955, actually. There's a certain craft called satellite number three that comes into orbit of Earth at particular dates, and people can find those dates at ethereus.org uh, on our website, and they'll see when it's coming in. We have those dates for the, for the next thousand years. Hmm. Now, when that craft is in orbit, it's there. And this is a very karmic thing. Uh, it's very interesting, actually, because one of the things about UFOs is that every step we take towards them, they take two towards us, at least two. And, and this has been proven to me even in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and I've had many experiences of that. And I'm sure listeners to this uh, podcast may have had experiences of this and I could give them. But if every action we take while that craft is in orbit in the dates I mentioned, they will potentize those efforts 3,000 times. That will benefit, therefore, the karma of the individual, but the karma of the world 3,000 times more than it would do normally because of that potentization. And it's typical, really, because they can't just come here and do it for us. They can't just land openly, walk out, I mean, you know, say, here we are, we're taking over the world. They don't want to do that, and they can't do that for karmic reasons. Mm -hmm. But what they can do is help us, and help us immensely. Mm -hmm. So that there is one example, and I could give others, where we can... And by the way, you don't have to believe in this satellite. You don't even have to know about this satellite to have your actions potentized. You don't have to be religious or regard yourself as spiritual. I mean, some of the people working in war-torn zones, you know, uh, and uh, who, who might be atheists, self-professed atheists, who are going out there and risking their lives and saving people are far more spiritual, as far as I'm concerned, than some people right now in caves, in seclusion, meditating. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the big sort of change. It's the big shift. If, if you are willing to do spiritual service, not so many people are, by, say, sending out spiritual energy, say, through the 12 blessings. We have a, a one of our places, 12blessings.org, where people can join in and join in these online services. So it's not a commercial thing. It's, it's free. You can just come along, join in, and send out energy. That will really help the world. So there are many more ways. There are certain mountains you can go to. I mean, I could go on, which, which where if you go there, your actions will be as powerful as, say, the actions of an adept would have been in the past. Mm -hmm. So because of these new avenues that are open to us, we can be far more effective in our service, and we don't have to wait 
until we're enlightened, which was the theory, perhaps, in the old days. At best, that was the theory. Mm-hmm. I think some of them just did it because, frankly, it was a form of spiritual selfishness. And they were remarkable. You know, don't get me wrong. It takes a lot of guts and a lot of detachment and had to cut away from materialism and cut away from everything, really. And you've got to take your hat off to them for having the guts to do that. But they weren't doing it in certain cases, I don't think, to serve. They were doing it for their own enlightenment. Right. Um, the, there were rare cases, and maybe Milarepa, he certainly looks as though he was one, who really believed he needed to, to gain that state so that he really could then change the world or help the world. Mm-hmm. But on, on the whole, well, either way, really, it's not necessary now. You can do tremendous things. Everybody listening to this podcast can do tremendous things. This is the good news, actually. It's an empowering thing to really help the world and not just help with a healing to a friend or a relative or someone who comes to you, you can change the lives of people in the Sudan. Right. You know, the, the things that we can now do are, uh, this is the great cosmic message. It's an exciting one. It's a demanding one. Uh, you know, it, it puts certain pressure on us for sure. But then karma is pressure. It, it's just, it's just, that's one of Dr. King's aphorisms. Karma is pressure. Uh, in three words i always um the idea that we have to do like not wait for a savior basically i think a lot of people out there kind of waiting for someone or something to come save the earth never really resonated with me but with me i always felt um if we you know service to others good actions good energy prayer or whatever if, if we take those steps and we make that effort and do things, take action steps that somewhere out there, there is something that will help us and push us along. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about. And um, I've always felt like from a very young age, I know this might sound crazy to our listeners, but I'm sure some of them know, like my mission here has been to bring awareness to the extraterrestrial UFO phenomenon and to let people know that it's, like, I don't know this for sure, but I feel it deeply that it's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. And this led me to, I write a lot about UFOs in a way where I try and reach people who kind of in a mainstream, credible way I do it. And I, I want to kind of shift gears here to what we're seeing now is a mainstream kind of UFO disclosure taking place where this Absolutely. stuff this stuff is hitting the mainstream. And I have a concern based on what I've looked into and based on my experiences, um, I sometimes feel there's a, a threat narrative that there are people out there, like these people who, who, you know, you say we're building nuclear weapons, this and that, who want to use this for kind of selfish purposes and their own agendas kind of, when really there is no national security issue. There is no, there is nothing indicative of a threat from the performance of these objects. Like, yeah. I don't think we should perceive this phenomenon as as a concern i mean this this thing has this stuff has been documented for thousands if you go back thousands of years millions of years up to today there's no evidence of a threat so why does humanity or these mainstream organizations sometimes present these phenomena as a threat like well yeah i think you're spot on i think it's right up my street everything you said there i mean in fact just about an hour before this particular interview 
um, I received, and you probably received this already, news that two million pages of documents have been released by the CIA. Um, And that's because of of, of the bill that went out, the COVID relief bill, you know, that it has been 180 days. And apparently they preempted that. This is, I haven't even had time to read it yet before the show. And, you know, that's, interesting in terms of disclosure i mean i actually brought a cia paper to the uk one of the first things i did actually uh when i was in the in the ethereum society i did was to bring a cia document to britain first person who ever did which had been released uh, about a, a fantastic sighting over tehran in 1976 and talking your point about not being harmful this described a jet um, which tried to fire a missile um, at, an, a, at a UFO. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it did, you might know this, this quite well known now, this particular file, but its weapons control panel went dead. Mm. Uh, and then as soon as it got out of range of the UFO, its weapons control panel was activated again, yeah. right, which yeah. shows incredible peaceful motivation as well as superpowers yeah. on, beha- on, the, on the part of the UFO. It didn't do any harm to the jet at all. It's like playing with a little child. No, you don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, go yeah. away. Um, and, and it didn't do anything. Yeah. And this is what we've got. And we've got, I mean, in Britain, for example, the, the Ministry of Defence announced that uh, in 2009, that they were closing their UFO, the Freedom of Information Act, or their UFO department, which they denied having at one time, but they, they said because they pose no threat to our defences. Mm-hmm. And then by the same token, a report came out in the Sunday press at the weekend here that the SAS over here, a military force here, have been trained to defend ourselves against aliens. <laughs> I don't know how well they do. But I agree with you, absolutely, and that's the message we've got obviously it's so obvious isn't it It should be obvious if they meant us harm you know if they if they wanted to invade this world they could have done it at the time of the vedas the vedic scripts you know the ramayana and the the great descriptions there and the mahabharata you know we wouldn't stand a chance against these craft at all Um, It would all be over very, very quickly. There'd be no sort of president of America going up in a jet to defend us. (laughs) All they'd probably get from aliens would be a laugh. Yeah, um, I'm afraid Uh, we we wouldn't stand a chance because they can get here. They have powers. But luckily, um, last year has seen a sea change. I think, Uh, you know, it's not enough. But there's been a change from several sources, and I'm sure you're on it, and you probably covered it already, so I won't recap on all the various things that happened last year. But I do think it's interesting that the more that comes, that starts to come out. Now, this is one thing I've discovered over the years, and I've done a lot of UFO com- campaigning in America as well as Britain for, for decades. Um, once you really start, and once people start to disclose something, more comes forth. Mm-hmm. For example, I'll give you one example the um one of the newspapers and over here at the moment ufos are in the in the in the mainstream press every week sometimes yeah. several times a week yeah. which they weren't a year ago mm-hmm. um and an all in not just the tabloid end you know the all ends of the press um and one very respected journal here called the eye some of these things are on my website if people want to look them up in detail they're there but it discovered that the number of sightings in Britain doubled last year. Mm-hmm. And the way they assessed that, because the, the government have 
claimed to have closed their department, uh, was by phoning up police stations to see what reports they were getting last year. They phoned about a third of the police stations in Britain, and it, 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 they found out that it had doubled from the previous years. But you see, that to me is an indication. There you have last year people coming forth and including uh, a former Ministry of Defence person leaking think, things and coming out actually openly, who had run the UFO department in Britain, uh, revealing things. And then you had the, you know, the, the Israeli general who ran the space agency there, you know, saying there's a galactic federation. And you, you had all the many things, Obama, the ex-head of the CIA, all these various things piling up. And what happens? More sightings. Yeah. They're, they will respond. I mean, I, I remember when I wrote a book with Dr. King. It's actually the last book that he, I should say he wrote it with me, by the way. It was his <laughs> book, not mine. I was privileged to write it. It was the last book published in his lifetime called Contacts with the Gods from Space. And we, we did a tour over here um, in that year. It was 1996, actually. Um, and he couldn't, he wasn't well enough at that point to be on it. So we were going around various cities in Britain and we started in a city called Leicester and we ended in a city called Torquay. And the first day, this was well-planned and, and well-advertised, but on the first day in this city called Leicester, there was a massive UFO sighting two hours before our opening lecture. Mm. And the people who saw it in Leicester didn't know about our lecture which you could say was bad publicity on our part, but not, you know, they didn't know. But so they were independent. They weren't connected to us in any way whatsoever. And it was reported. We went around the various parts of Britain, ended up in a, a Devonshire, Devon town called Torquay. And on the front page of the newspaper, the day I got there to give the lecture, the front page said UFO seen heading for Torquay. And they didn't know either because it was a missed opportunity for, again, for publicity. So they weren't connected to us. Now, that to me isn't a, I've had too many of these sorts of things to say it's a coincidence. It's a sign again. We take a step towards them. They'll take two towards us. Now, the satellite that I mentioned, satellite number three, is, of course, far, far more important. In fact, it isn't interested in being sighted. It's interested in helping humanity. And that's a, a, a much greater example, really, of how we can really help our world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like when you talk about sightings or, or like I, I, what comes to mind is, you know, Arjun, you know, Arjun and I both have had many experiences in the past of, of even trying to initiate um, contact, which is really right. to, you know, to use some of the terms you used. Um, in our minds back then, it was to initiate that rapport, right? Whatever yes, that looks yes. like. And, yeah. um, you know, the, before the, the topic of what is now called CE5, kind of popularized by Stephen Greer and some of that sort of stuff, um, you know, we'd, we had played with this stuff a lot from this standpoint of like almost a curiosity and a, and a general sense of what it would feel like to say, hey, I want to pick up my phone and call my friend. You're not seeing them as like these gods that are like above you. You're, you're seeing them as these beings that you want to relate with. And, yeah. um, and it's, and it's a relationship of, of curiosity and of playfulness. And, um, I feel, I wanted to get your take on this. I feel like, um, now, like, you know, I guess it's, you know, probably 11 years since we first started to play with that stuff. The topic of C5 or initiating contact on behalf of humanity, which is, you know, using the words of Stephen Greer, 
is something that a lot of people are being encouraged to do, right? To sort of say, hey, this is humanity. You know, don't don't rely, aliens don't rely on the government to say, here's who humanity is. Um, citizens themselves can can make contact. What are your thoughts on on people choosing to have that experience to, to sort of reach out and say, hey, um, can I really initiate or should I be initiating um, contact in this manner? Well, I think... I don't know a lot. I haven't thought about that. I've never been asked that before. So that's a, that's a new one on me. So my first reaction to that would be, I think it would depend a lot on the motive mm -hmm. is how I'd respond to that. I mean, I think it would depend whether you were doing it to help, to signal to higher powers that you appreciate them. You know, yes, you don't want to be frightened of them. No, definitely we shouldn't be frightened of them. There's nothing to be frightened of we should develop a reverence, a love, and so on for them. And if that's your motive to express appreciation and, and so on, that can't be anything but good. If it's I'm doing this because I'm curious and I want to have an experience for myself that I can then talk about and so on, mm -hmm. it's a lesser motive. That's, I'm not saying it's going to be terrible, but it's a lesser motive. So it all depends. I think what they would be interested in is what we are doing uh, for others yeah. and, and and for this world and in and if you know working with them or them helping us to try and solve that particular problem they don't ask us to send our energy our prayers to them but i think we should sometimes i mean i remember we did once in devon uh it'd be all about i think it'd be about 2008 some years ago we went to a hill in devon which we believe is a holy place was charged with spiritual energy uh, by uh, by Jesus actually, but we we uh, when I say we, it's about 150 of us I would say took that chance. It wasn't to, to actually so it's it's kind of similar to what you're asking, but slightly different. Our main purpose wasn't to see them, although people did have experiences, but it was to send energy to them in thankfulness, in love, not just using prayer, using mantra, using various methods, visualization, and so on. Uh, we had no particular, you know, wish for anything in return at all. But that weekend in Britain was, it turned out, within hours of us doing that, was the biggest series of sightings Britain had ever witnessed over a weekend. Mm. They were reported all over. And again, even so, there was a sighting just down the road from where we were, but the people didn't know we were there doing this. Mm -hmm. So you put those two things together and you've got a, a definite reaction because, you know, the press were describing this as a, as a UFO record, uh, an unprecedented spate of sightings from the north of England, the west, the east, all over, including London. It's so, you know, I think that's good. But I, I think the best thing that we can do is to try to work with them to send spiritual energy to humanity and to the earth. Yeah, when I'm when we try to make contact and when we do it's i feel like you know it's great and everything but at the end of the day the most important thing here is our planet and changing things changing yeah. the human experience for the better um bringing awareness to certain things like it's interesting in that way because for me and i know for us contact isn't about like just you know making contact it is but it's it's more so about the earth and it's yeah. about service to others and I remember, you know, 
instances when we made contact and you know certain instances when i try and communicate it's 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 for it's it's sometimes i used to ask for assistance like helping me help others if i don't know how assistance would be provided to that's me, great just, by you the know way. i think that's really good that's a fantastic thing to ask for yeah or it's it's like appreciation like you said um mm. but it's not for kind of like selfish although curiosity i don't think curiosity is bad i think it's i think no it's not people, bad yeah it's not bad no, but no. i think the message in all this mm -hmm. is kind of okay ufos and the ideas of beings from other planets yeah it's creeping into the mainstream the next step is kind of where the next big step is we still have yet to go is the, the spiritual message our connection mm -hmm. with each other and our connection with the earth and um uh, um, sorry, did you want to say something there? I just want to say something about curiosity, if I could yeah. do, because yeah. I agree with you, it's not bad. And these are words, and people use words differently mm -hmm. to mean, you know, slightly different things. If it's a search for truth, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you, can I give you a little example from that wonderful book, Autobiography of a Yogi, if you know it by Yogananda, great yeah, yeah, Yogananda. Yeah. And he gives this example of, of someone, again, it's my Eastern interest from the past, but somebody was uh, a person was searching for truth they went and they found you might remember this story um a yogi a teacher a, a guru and they said master will you will you tell me the truth and according to the story this guru grabbed hold of the head of this person and stuck it in a basin of water and held it there till the person was, was you know quite worried and then pulled the head out uh, his head out and said when you're in there what did you want most yeah. and the person said air master he said, when you can say truth, I'll teach you. Until then, go. Mm. Um, and I do love those old stories. They were hard. They weren't soft. You know, they were, but it, that kind of desperation for truth is a great thing. You know? yeah. And it, it's an essential thing at some stage in, in our evolution. Curiosity, it, it can be a very mild thing just for a bit of stimulation, or mm -hmm. it could be something really deep. So that's all I was going to say there. It's it's interesting you mentioned the search for truth, um, because that actually kind of touches upon a topic I want to get into with some channelers out there. Um, some of them say you shouldn't focus on or you shouldn't like, for example, we here at Collective Evolution sometimes, I guess, quote, expose certain agendas of um, people who don't have the best intents for yeah. things. I guess they're not in that proper place within themselves yet. And we yeah. kind of shed light on that. But then there's some channels out there who say, um, who are apparently channeling, who say, no, no, you shouldn't focus on that because it's negative and you're just manifesting it. But we're not looking at it from a negative point. We're just kind of shedding light onto something where we s seem we see needs to change helps people uh, question helps it. people question what we're doing here on planet i agree Earth, you know no i agree with you i think and, and again this comes back to joe what you asked me about the social priorities because one of the big another big change in, in the teachings we've been given is that in this day and age we should fight evil mm -hmm. which doesn't mean to say physically fight it at all in fact, the, per the, the intelligence who gave it was an exponent of non-violence, mm -hmm. but that we should, we should no longer have the sort of detached attitude of letting it just wash over us and ignore it. We should fight it with truth. Right. Mm -hmm. But in order to fight it, you've, and you fight it with light and fight it with love, yes. but fight it. 
rather than just letting it go as per the old way, if you like, mm -hmm. detaching from it. It's all illusory. It's all Maya. I don't want to know. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Right. We've got in order to fight evil, you've got to know what what's out there. Yeah. And it's not pleasant, a lot of it. And that's, again, a big deal. That's why I mentioned Dr. King found Samadhi in Waterloo in London, which if anyone knows it, it it's, it's, it's fine. It's not the worst place on earth, but it's certainly not a beautiful Himalayan cave or <laughs> a lovely forest region in uh, Rishikesh or whatever it might be. And, you know, we have to look at what's going on and we have to deal with it. And I mean, one of the things we have to, I think, accept straight away is that politics is not the answer. Yeah. And people still revert to politics, be yeah. it right wing or left wing or anything else. It, 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 we surely must know by now that it doesn't work. It, it never has worked. Every time they come and say, we can do it, this is it. We're going to solve it all. And they never do. <laughs> no. They yeah. might do bits of good here and there, yeah. but it never does it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, oops, sorry. Um, no, please. I was just going to say, yeah, it seems like every four years in the United States, for example, like the collective eyes just focus on electing someone like, this one person's going to make some significant yeah. change. If we took all that energy we put into electing someone and put it towards some actual like, like productive things and proper things, like that'd be much more effective. And like, like you said, like the stuff we expose, like it, it's not like negative stuff. Like we're, the important thing is to operate from a place of peace within. And I think yes. that's a big message of the theory society. Like if you're doing your work from place of peace within like change comes from within if you're working on yourself then you can turn that into the proper action taken and i think a lot of this stuff going on today is really like left right people fighting with each other <laughs> we're missing the point that we're not seeing that we're all fighting with each other and we really just need to work on ourselves a lot and no you're right i mean i'll get may i get share a quote from the 12 blessings actually by the master jesus which is first cometh the angel peace to make way for the goddess love, mm -hmm. which is a, it's very simple. It's a great aphorism and they come from the same place. Um, you know, and people might think of hippies or what have you. And in which case <laughs> they probably may not be thinking of the same peace or the same love. I don't know, mm -hmm. but real peace and real love come from the same place. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're sending energy to others, you, you, you know, you're going to send it, you're going to color it, you're going to temper it with your own consciousness, because you're, you're the channel for that energy. Mm -hmm. So obviously, the higher level you can attain within yourself, the better. But I still come back to my point, we can't wait, though. Yeah. We can't wait till we find a perfect state of peace within us before we start healing. Yeah, We've got to get stuck in and crack in. And, and the reverse happens as well, even more so. Now, I, I've run a lot of development workshops over the years, particularly in the psychic area. And I've discovered one very definite thing that when you um, hold a say a, a weekend workshop and it's all about development um, you get results certainly because otherwise what's the point um, <laughs> and, the, and people could see people getting results not everyone but some people will definitely get visible definite results but if you include in that workshop service to others you're not just developing yourself you're healing the animals, if you like, the animal kingdom, or sending energy out to the, the Devic realms, which govern nature, or you send it out to a war-torn area. You do some of that and some of the development. The development results are much stronger. And I found that over and over, even within a weekend or even within a day. 
So it's another way, actually, strangely, as well as peace being preparing the way for love, so that once you start to manifest love energy, you'll gain greater peace within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, sorry, I keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up was, like, CE started basically because um, you founded CE in 2009, basically because the urgency of the like this desire within us to cha- help do whatever we can to try and change things on the planet um, is strong and still is strong, and we feel a great urgency. But sometimes it feels like, although it doesn't happen too much, but sometimes it feels like, oh, wow, can, can we really do this? Like, I guess helplessness, uh, sometimes you, you, uh, you fall into that kind of area and not yeah. too much. Like a lot of times it's great and stuff. And we, a lot of the things that are happening on our planet are happening because we believe we're going through this process of awakening and kind of going mm-hmm. through maybe some birthing pains, but yeah you know no i think that's true and i think when you know that happens to everybody i i I think in fact it's well known i think people on the spiritual path have their peaks and their troughs as it were and um it's going to happen to to all of us and that's the time to revert back to 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 spiritual practices i mean one thing i do which is pretty much the first thing i discovered from dot king actually was a series of breathing exercises or pranayama and i do that pretty well every day even now, and I find it essential, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes. And that builds up our reserves and revitalizes our inner resources, as it were, mm-hmm. because you're going to get drained because when you're doing what you're doing or you're, anyone who's putting out, trying to put out truth in one form or another or light in one form or another is going to encounter darkness and, and lies, frankly, and obstacles and, you know, and any a sort of almost, it doesn't even have to be, consciously deliberate it can almost be like a group soul inertia Mm -hmm. that's coming from this level of existence we live on which is let's face it pretty basic one Mm -hmm. i mean this realm we're on this physical realm we're on is an extraordinary realm it's an exciting realm it's a realm of tremendous opportunity to serve and help people perhaps more than any other probably but well usually i don't want to be dogmatic there but (laughs) You know, that you have Gandhi and, and Hitler coming to this realm in the same century. You know, mm. it's, it's an extraordinary thing. Mm. But you're up against forces. And if you're trying to do this, yes, I mean, what you're describing, I think, goes with that territory. And you'll get attacks, or most people will, if they're really making a mark. They're going to have people who, who are going to try and stop them. Mm. People are going to try and attack them. And that's why I think this vice of fighting the evil is so important and, and, and revitalizing ourselves and just keeping on going. I mean, that's one of the great things anyone can do, actually, just to keep on. Yeah. That alone is, is a lesson in itself. Yeah, 100%. It's like one of those things when we think about sometimes like all the things that have happened to try and shut down. I'm, I'm not sure. saying that there was a single individual trying to shut down CE, no. but all the things that have happened over the course of time, it's like, yeah. you know, most people even just like other entrepreneurial friends are like you know it's time to just throw in the towel but there's a there's a <laughs> feeling because they don't understand like, right. no disrespect but they don't they yeah. don't know what you're what the level you're working in 
Right. And it's not, yeah, because it's never been about the business, right? It's always been about no. the service. And, and yeah. um, it's interesting because, you know, even when we do get some of the feedback from people where it's like, oh, you know, this is negative. You shouldn't be talking about this and, and stuff. We've always kind of seen it as a spiritual process to go through this unveiling that, that we're seeing. But go, there are masters on this earth. And I want to stress it's male and female masters from many different backgrounds or cultures themselves who have ascended really ascended, not the nonsense some people describe as ascension, real ascension, uh, who are among us. And if they weren't among us, I think it would, we, we, you know, we'd be in tr dire straits by now, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And then add to that even greater masters from other worlds taking an interest in us. Thank God they do. You have to wonder why sometimes for the thanks they get. One of them we murdered, at least one of them. Um, yeah. Jesus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they date, take this tremendous, and even despite that, I believe the master Jesus is still very compassionate. And one of his disciples, St. Peter, grossly underestimated and ridiculously, even by the Catholic church underestimated. These are great intelligences. And then you could look to the East and you could, I mean, the greatest master on earth, I believe is the Lord Babaji. Uh, although that name is used by different people and they can get it the wrong one. But um, and there are many Eastern masters, Sankacharya, Patanjali, Krishna, Buddha, who we believe came from other worlds. And if they hadn't, uh, our world would be in terrible state right now. Yeah. It's, it's in a terrible state, but an even worse one. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because with everything that ha has happened, everything we've done to the planet, like just the way we do things here, the things yeah. that are just the pesticides, Fukushima, um, oh, just there's just so many different things that we do that we don't have to do and we do it a better way. Sometimes I feel like there's no way we're not getting any assistance from somewhere else. There, I, th I think I'm, I might be wrong here, but I, I think either Fukushima are the first and second worst nuclear disasters ever between those two. Yeah. And the third one took place in the Soviet Union either at the end of 57 or the uh, beginning of 58. Mm -hmm. And that one uh, was revealed through Dr. King uh, just months after it happened. Mm. And it, it, there were stories in the press about some nuclear releases, but not in connection with a research plant being having a, 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 a you know, nuclear destruction within it, yeah. um, being blown up partly by it. And an accident, I should say. And that was revealed. But not only was that revealed, and that was what, you know, that was 18 years before the world even knew about it from any other source that we know of. Mm -hmm. um, they did tremendous things to help us to alleviate that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is, funny, funny enough, I just had time to see one of the papers that just come out in the last few days from the CIA. It was again about Russia in 91, I think. And it said it was some munitions dump and some there was an explosion from a UFO that sort of eliminated this munitions dump with various explosives and it rocked the local neighborhood. But nobody was injured. Hmm. And again, yeah. it's another typical mark of UFO, if that was a UFO. And it looks like, according to this paper, that what I could see it was. Yeah. And also helping us to get rid of a munitions uh, dump. They, they've helped over the years tremendously with including, I believe, Fukushima, actually, mm -hmm. uh, in, in helping to diminish, not, re not eliminate, but diminish the dire effects of radioactive release. Yeah, I came across a, 
a document, I think last year, showing how the U.S. really wanted to detonate a nuclear weapon on the moon. And then I came across some um, ex-verified like, military high-ranking people, um, one in particular, her name was Colonel Ross Diedrichson, who said, and this has happened multiple times with nuclear testing, that the um, extraterrestrials or space beings or whatever you want to call them destroyed the weapon be before it could get to the moon. Like, we wanted to... Mm put a nuclear weapon on the moon <laughs> we're so dumb <laughs> but so there are a lot of stories out there like that and that's why again sometimes i'm concerned with mainstream ufo disclosure and a threatened narrative but at the end of the day if you look at all the cases and all the corroboration with so many contactees and experiences the message really is we it's not really to focus on the ufo phenomenon itself it's it's us it's a spiritual message personal development and changing our planet basically for the better Absolutely. I mean, you, you're absolutely talking about my language there, Arjun. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I think it will come. I think it has to come. Um, and I think the, the evidence will get stronger. But what, what do you do once you say, OK, governments have lied to us? I mean, one of the lies they used to put out, wasn't it, was that this is something from our, our inventory. This, or this is a Russian sophisticated jet. And the Pentagon used to say yes. that. They've admitted lying about that, actually. Yes. Um, now, as of last year, we know from the U.S. Navy footage, again, it's on my website if people haven't seen it, it's all over the Internet, actually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they've come out and said there is nothing in the American or any other inventory that could duplicate these feats. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a radar tracking of an event here in, in Britain in 1980, actually. In, in a place called Suffolk, an American Air Force base in Woodbridge. It's, 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 um, you know, it's regarded as our Roswell almost over here. Mm -hmm. And the radar trackers say that the, the UFO they picked up was going at tens of thousands of miles an hour. And that was then. There was nothing that could do that. So this whole myth that it's really something from Earth, it's something, you know, this, is, this has been blown out of the water. Mm -hmm. And once people realize that, what do they do? They say, okay, UFOs exist then. Okay, UFOs are peaceful. They must be. They have superior technology, right? Okay, they haven't harmed anybody. Um, you know, what do I do next? Well, what you should do, I believe, then, is look and see who claims to have contacts with them. Mm -hmm. And the of which step. one is Dr. George King. Yes. I don't expect anyone to believe me. I don't expect you to take my word for this at all. He, did, he didn't expect people to take his word for it at all. Mm -hmm. Just look at it. Look at the content. Yes. I don't think there's anything to quite compare with it that I know of at all, and not even claimed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are other claims. Look at those two, if you wish. Yeah. Form your own conclusions, and then we can start to cooperate with them. And that's what the Ethereum Society, in, an, in one sentence, really, is all about. Direct cooperation with beings from other worlds. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And it, yeah. it definitely feels like, a you know, at the next stage of, of our journey here is having a even the the deep you know mainstream curiosity and ufos and ets that continues to build pushes us towards a collective conversation towards what do we make of these things um or yeah. these beings as we call them um just to i guess maybe sort of cap off a final um sort of question here that might be able to to give some people um maybe a little bit of takeaway here um we were mentioning earlier a little bit about the political structure and how it won't we can't really change things through the political structure um we feel that here as well at collective evolution we we always kind of 
uh, urge our, our listeners to think beyond that and to see what might be there. It feels like the consciousness of the political structure itself is what, like you were saying earlier, may you know, almost corrupt any individual with whatever tensions they have, you know, the consciousness that holds that structure is just outdated. And, and so to go beyond and, and engage in creating change outside of the political realm, people ask the question, okay, so what do I do in my personal life? Do you have any places where you recommend or the Ethereum side recommends people start in terms of, uh, you know, doing things to create change without playing within the political structure. Absolutely, definitely do. I'd like to mention again, the 12 blessings. And we, we have, and particularly during this pandemic and various countries are in lockdown, Britain's virtually almost in full lockdown now, um, for one. Uh, you can go online and you can go to 12blessings.org. That's 12blessings.org. And you can see there services which are taking place. You can also go to the Ethereum Society website, probably be even better, actually, because there uh, there's a page with all our online services. Some of them are visual. And so you can join in with those. And in joining in, you're sending out energy in cooperation with people. It's actually quite a wonderful thing because we're finding out that people are joining in with these in countries where, you know, we didn't know we had any interest or support at all. Countries like Iran uh, and Iraq, um, you know, as well as obviously places like Jamaica, the Philippines, all over the world, really. Um, a lot in India and, and, and as well as the countries that we are very aware of. Um, and you can join in with that. You're coming together with other people. You're sending out energy. You will definitely make a difference. And as well as that, you can make a difference on your own. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, this isn't a, a book plug. Well, it is, I suppose, but it's not intended as such. There is a book called Realize Your Inner Potential. Uh, again, I co-authored it. I don't get any royalties in case people think I've got a vested interest. <laughs> I, it was a book, really. It was Dr. King's book. And uh, I completed it for him posthumously with his notarized uh, approval. And this contains a lot of exercises you can do. Um, and they are the best exercises that I know of. Again, I, if I thought there were better ones, I would have written a different kind of a book or been part of another book. I do them myself every day. They are spiritual things that you can do, which will change you. You can hold me to this. If you give them a proper try, by the way, I'm not going to yeah. say do something once half-heartedly. And that, no, you've got to really go for it. If you, and if you choose to. But also, more importantly, you can really make a difference in the world in sending out this one thing the world needs more than anything else, and that's spiritual energy. I can't really recommend anything better than that. Well said, and uh, you know, thank you so much for uh, doing this with us, and even for the work and the service that you're doing uh, for the world at this time. It uh, was a fascinating well, conversation. Well, I want to thank you both for all you doing there, Joe and Arjun, and, and Collective Evolution. I think it's great what you're doing and uh, I'm sure it's making a fantastic difference to a lot of people. So thanks very much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The C Show. If you have a moment, consider passing this show on to a friend or family member who you think would relate to this type of conversation. Bringing community together in these conversations is key and you'll find these days people are a lot more receptive to these emerging ideas and perceptions than they may have been in the past. Lastly, visit ctv.one and consider becoming a member of our community where you get access to a ton of video content, including original shows, discussions, and courses to help you make sense of the world and transform how you show up in life. Visit ctv.one to learn more.